Well, welcome to the next part of our Bible series, Exile. How can we have peace in the storms of life? A few months back in the summer, we managed to get a holiday in the Swiss Alps. And uh, I love climbing mountains, and so does one of my sons. So we went up quite a challenging alpine peak, and it was a beautiful summer's day. We had a fantastic time. It was exhilarating. It was relaxing until the storm clouds began to gather on the horizon. And the anxiety built as we began to hear claps of thunder and saw lightning strikes coming our way. And what was just a very peaceful, enjoyable experience suddenly became quite threatening. And we, we had a quick bite to eat and said our prayer on the summit and then made our way down, nervous now about what was coming around the next corner. Anxiety and uncertainty building. You know, life can be a bit like this. You can go from feeling like you're winning and making good progress and enjoying yourself and the sun is shining, and then the storms can come quite suddenly sometimes. And our world is facing something of this, isn't it? The uncertainties now are building around the corner, ominous, threatening times. And so that's why this story from the Bible, Exile, is so relevant to the moment we find ourselves in. How can we have peace in the storms. You know, in the Bible, peace is not a weak, flimsy word that gives way when the storms come. You don't need the sun to be shining or life to be winning for you to have peace, according to the Bible. You can have deep, real peace in the storms. One of my favourite verses in the New Testament, in Philippians, puts it this way, that the peace of God which transcends our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice the peace is bigger than our understanding. It's deeper than the circumstances. It's stronger than the storm. And this is the kind of peace that God has for our world, for you and me, even in the challenging times that we face. Now, Israel in the Old Testament, they had their storm to face. They had to learn this the hard way. That storm was called exile. Around 600 BC, they were forced from their homeland, which was destroyed, and taken as captives by the Babylonians, forced to live in a far-off land as exiles. It was the darkest, most difficult period in the Old Testament. And it helps us grapple with questions we face when the storms roll in for us and we face loss and our versions of exile, maybe the loss of a job or bereavement and the loss of a loved one or financial or relationship difficulties that you might be facing. And when these things happen, we ask, where is God and why does he let suffering happen and how can we have peace in the storms? Well, we're going to dive into that in a moment. But before we do, I should just note that we are skipping centuries of history because last time, if you remember, we looked at Exodus. That was around 1300 BC. God getting his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Now, fast forward centuries of history from 1300 BC, Exodus, to around 600 BC, exile. Now, if Exodus got them into the promised land, exile is them getting thrown out of the promised land. Now, if you want to know more about some of the amazing characters that fit in in between King David and Solomon and judges and prophets, then do have a good look at the series book where I unpack some of those amazing stories like David and Goliath that help us also today. But we're going to skip over centuries of history and focus in on the exile with three things we can learn. And the first is this, God brings peace in the storms. 
as we've noticed, around 600 BC, the Babylonians, who were the new superpower on the earth, conquered Jerusalem, the center, the capital city by now of God's people, Israel, conquered Jerusalem, smashed down its walls, burned down the temple and forced the majority of the inhabitants. And you can see here a map of the march they had to make, the route they took from modern day Israel, Palestine, or the promised land, the land of Canaan, as it's variously referred to in the Bible. They left this land and they made their way round up through what would be modern day Syria and down into modern day Iraq, which was the Babylonian Empire's capital. There in Babylon, they were enslaved captives in a foreign land or exiles. Now, uh, one of the Psalms in the Bible captures the mood as these exiles face this trauma. And it's a Psalm made famous actually by Boney M later on in life. But the Psalm says this, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we remembered Jerusalem. Notice the tears, the pain, the loss, the grief, the fear, all things that you may resonate with. Life can have these moments where the storm rolls in and we face new challenges and the tears begin to flow or we feel so frightened or so angry we can't even seem to cry. I can remember when my father died just a couple of years back. Oh, it felt hard and well, I cried some tears, but also had some questions. And, and we can face this time where even in summer, it feels like the ground beneath our feet is frozen. And, and in those times, it's important to bring how we really feel to God. That's why these Psalms, like Psalm 137, are in the Bible. Psalms of lament. It's not all just happy and pretending life's easy. The Bible's much more honest than that. It's real and gritty and helps us process the hurts and the pains and the questions that we have in the storms and the tough times. You do not need to bottle up those emotions. In fact, they become toxic if we bottle them up, but it's cathartic to release them to God. Use the Bible as a resource to help you process some of the emotions from the disappointments, loss and laments of life. God is with us in the storms he wants us to be honest. He's not embarrassed when we cry. He's not offended by our honest questions and concerns. But he is with us in the storms. And that's the key to peace. How can we have peace in the storms? By knowing that God does not abandon us when life gets tough. Quite the contrary, he draws closer as the going gets tough and makes himself even more available to us in the storms. You know, as we made our way down that mountain in the Alps, suddenly overhead, a helicopter came into view and it came our way and then it locked onto us and began to circle round us. Someone had obviously alerted Mountain Rescue to our predicament and uh, they came to make sure we were okay. Unfortunately, by this time, we were down the worst or most dangerous section, but they stayed with us for some time until they were confident that we were, we'd reassured them we were okay. And I tell you what, that brought peace. The anxiety lifted as the helicopter lowered because we knew we're not alone. <laughs> you know, someone has eyes on us. They know where we are and what we're facing. God is like that helicopter. He comes closer in the storms and he hovers over us, waiting for us to reach out to him 
He wants us to know. He's got eyes on you. He knows what you're going through and he is with you. Here's how the prophet Isaiah communicated that message from God to these exiles facing this trauma. God says this through Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Do not be afraid. I am with you. That's a promise around 600 BC to Israel and the exiles. And it's a promise in the 21st century. Whatever we're facing, God says, do not be afraid. I will be with you. Knowing God's peace in the storms, that even if exile was a form of judgment on Israel, that didn't mean God had abandoned them. Even though they'd got things wrong, he hadn't given up on them. Whatever predicament you're in, even if you've been the cause of your own downfall, God does not wash his hands of us and walk away. He hovers over us. He draws closer even in the storms. And we're going to hear a beautiful, remarkable story from Megan, who experienced this personally for herself. I grew up going to church every Sunday, never questioned God's existence. But when I was 17, I decided that God was boring and I wanted to do my own thing. So I said, thank you, but no thank you to God. So I was driving home one evening when I was at sixth form. Um, it was a really wet, windy, dark night. Hit a large pool of water on the road and I'm told, I don't remember, um, but the car, flipped over multiple times down a steep ravine and then I was airlifted to a specific one at the emergency department because the accident was so severe. So I spent a total of seven weeks in the intensive care unit, had really life-threatening injuries to pretty much all my organs um, but the injury they were most concerned about was the traumatic brain injury and they told my family if I was ever going to wake up, which they didn't think I would from the coma, um, they wouldn't have the same daughter or same sister back. And um, my family were told to come say goodbye to me. There wasn't um, a moment where I woke up and thought, where am I, what's happened? It was a feeling and a feeling of complete peace and the presence of God and knowing that God loved me, even though I turned my back. Unknown to me um, at the time in intensive care, but hundreds and hundreds of Christians across the world were praying for me. And they were praying for total healing um, of my body. And on one night where my family had to come and say goodbye to me, I know that there were 10,000 people in London praying for me. I spent over eight months in hospital in total, which was a really long time. Um, most of that was spent in neuro rehab, um, where I learned to walk again, I learned to go up the stairs again on my own, um, and I found out that I could still play the piano like I could before. And when my neurosurgeon saw me, she literally said, this is a miracle. Because I'm a nurse, Having gone through such a life-changing experience and finding God in that hardship is probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it's changed my entire outlook on life, knowing that 
God is going to be there, whatever the storm. And now I can confidently say, without a shadow of a doubt, that God brings hope to any situation. Well, as Megan's story shows us, God not only draws near in the storms, he can even bring good out of the tough times. And that's our second point. God brings peace in the storms and God has a purpose through the storms. You know, for the exiles sat in Babylon, it must have just felt like total defeat. Everything that was familiar and normal had seemingly fallen apart and they were now in this whole new territory with much uncertainty. That probably sounds familiar to some of what we're facing as a world right now. And yet God had a purpose in and through this storm. And that's true for us. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah speaking, or actually writing, he wrote a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And within that letter, he speaks what God is saying to them. Remember, life's fallen apart for them, but this is what God says to them. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now those verses, very famous, were actually spoken to exiles in the midst of chaos in Babylon. Notice God says, I've carried you into this exile and I've got a purpose and a plan for you in it. You know, this is so important for us to grasp because otherwise we can be caught dwelling in nostalgia or as Oasis used to sing it, don't look back in anger, right? They may have looked back to the good old days when life was normal and more safe and secure, but God says, no, no, don't get caught looking back in anger. Don't get stuck in nostalgia. I've got a purpose for you. Look forwards with confidence to the future. God has a purpose through the storms and tough times. Now, one of the characters in the Bible who illustrates this for us is called Daniel. He's a famous character. He was one of the exiles. He was born in Jerusalem, in the safety of a culture, the Jewish people, where he would have been nurtured in the faith. But he was snatched out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and taken to Babylon. He must have felt like he'd been kidnapped. I mean, imagine the trauma for a young man leaving everything that's familiar and ending up in a foreign culture where you are far away from home and support. It would have been so easy to give up and assume it was pointless and hopeless. But Daniel didn't give up. He got up and he served God in this foreign culture. He fulfilled Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, which says, seek the welfare of this city that you're now in. In other words, don't fight against the circumstances that you find yourself in. You have to somehow find a way by God's strength to embrace the new challenges and say, I'm not going to look back with nostalgia to Jerusalem in Daniel's case. I'm going to get step forwards with a sense of purpose here in Babylon. I am where I am. I can't change that. But what I can do is fulfill God's purpose for where he has placed me. Now, Daniel, as he chose to do this, he did it in a couple of ways simultaneously. Firstly, he remained totally faithful to God and this got him in trouble. He refused to eat the foods. Uh, of the Babylonian court, probably sacrificed to idols. And 
That got him in a bit of trouble, but God brought him through that. And then he kept praying three times a day, Daniel prayed. Sometimes when you're in exile, away from home, you've got to be even more intentional about your spiritual disciplines. And he did that three times a day, even when it was banned. And that famously got him thrown into the lion's den where God also delivered him. Daniel remained faithful to God and God prospered him among the Babylonians. He became known as wise and was promoted through to a position of influence. So simultaneously, Daniel remained faithful to God and got stuck into the context where God had placed him. This is what we need to do. The more challenging the circumstances, the more we need to do it. We need to stay faithful to God, keep praying, reading the Bible, meeting with other Christians and staying strong in the faith. But don't hide away Get stuck in. Take up the opportunities of influence to bring leadership even as the times are challenging. My wife uh, embodies this, Charlotte. She's so, um, she she's works in a state school, a secular school context. It's a tough environment, but she, she embodies this getting stuck in. She's known as someone who is good for the school, and, and yet she's also so faithful to God in the way she does that, that she's having her own little impact. Someone came up to her the other day, and, who she'd never really met before, and said, are, are you the one who's a Christian? <laughs> Word had got round, and she wanted to talk about some challenges she was facing. You know, we need to get stuck in, stay faithful to God, and we will show, like Daniel, that it is possible to win away from home. <laughs> Daniel is away from home, but in sporting terms, he wins away from home by not giving up on what God had called him to do. Take your workplace, your sports team, your community, your family opportunities, and see them however, however much you would wish the circumstances to be different. Let's believe that God has a purpose through the storms we're in, and we will step forwards, not looking back with nostalgia, but stepping into the future, bringing a confidence and leadership to the task. Now, Daniel did this in exile, but 70 years after their captivity, the foreign policy changed and the exiles were allowed to return home. And this leads us to our third point. We've seen God brings peace in the storms. He has a purpose through the storms. And finally, he speaks promise beyond the storms. You know, when it's famously been said, when you're in a storm, it feels like it will never end. But the storm eventually will pass and Israel eventually was allowed to go home from Babylon. They made the journey, they reversed the journey, as you can see, back round through Syria. The exiles in several ways returned from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, back home to the promised land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, Palestine. What they found there, to their both encouragement and dismay, they found Jerusalem, but now it lay as a pile of rubble, charred rubble destroyed previous decades by the Babylonians. And so they had to face the challenge of rebuilding. You know, we face huge challenges of rebuilding in our times as we so much of what's been familiar and normal to us has been so rapidly taken down. And now we face the rather daunting challenge, as the exiles did, of how can we make a new normal? How can we restore a sense of shalom, of peace, of well-being in this city that lies as rubble? Interestingly, when a key character called Nehemiah finally makes it home, as he arrives into Jerusalem, many of the people there had just begun to live in the rubble as if it was normal. And Nehemiah has faith and he brings leadership and he says, this isn't normal, this is dysfunctional. We need to work for change. We mustn't settle for how things are. 
we need to bring about change. And he begins to mobilize the people to take responsibility for their own backyard, for their own plot, to rebuild the walls of the city, to get the gates back on their hinges, to bring back a sense of safety and security. And all of this is inspired by prophets who speak a sense of God's promise over the rubble. And as the prophets speak promise over the rubble, the people begin to rebuild and the city is transformed. Some of the heroes take on the dirty task. I think of Macalja and his family. They rebuilt the Dung Gate in Jerusalem. Now, as you can hear from that name, you don't really want to be touching the stones and the rubble around the Dung Gate. But they got their hands dirty and they got stuck in and they made a difference. That's what God's calling us to at this time. He speaks promise beyond the storms. I know life can feel threatening and you might be feeling like there are particular challenges now and you think, are we ever going to get through this? God says, I've got promise beyond these storms. You mustn't give up and you mustn't give in and you mustn't settle for the rubble or living in what is dysfunctional. We must rise up with faith, take responsibility for what's in front of us and together rebuild. Well, Nehemiah and the people of Israel therefore end up back in their homeland by the end of the Old Testament and the city's Gates and walls and the temple are restored and some sense of normal returns. However, as the Old Testament concludes, it's by no means a story with a happy ending. It's a story longing and waiting for its hero. The Messiah, as we'll see next time, is soon to come. Centuries will pass, then the Messiah will come. But in the meantime, God speaks promise that true peace That peace we began at the start by referring to, that peace that's deeper than our understanding and stronger than the storms. There is one who is coming who can bring that kind of peace to our lives. And we read in Isaiah 9 some famous words that capture this hope. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Did you hear that? The Messiah, the one who is coming, is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the one who can bring peace in the storms, who has a purpose for us through the storms, and who speaks promise beyond the storms. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And whatever storm you're facing right now, I want to encourage you on the one hand, don't bottle up how you're feeling. Bring it to God, but bring it to a God who is the Prince of Peace, who hovers over you like that helicopter saying, I've got eyes on you. I know you. I know what you're going through. I'm with you in the storm. I've got a purpose for you through the storm. And I speak promise beyond the storm. And if you want to receive that peace, I'd like to just pray for you now as we bring this message into land. So perhaps in the comfort of your own home, wherever you're watching this, you just want to reach out your hands as a sign of receiving peace from God. And I'd like to pray of you, and I'd like to read that scripture that we started with that simply says this. Reach out to God as I read this now. The peace of God, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus Christ has come as the Prince of Peace. And so whatever storms we're going through, we are not alone. You are with us. You hover over us. Your eyes are upon us. You hold us. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would experience now peace even in the storms, knowing your purpose, not looking back with nostalgia to how things used to be, but through that peace, sensing your purpose to step forwards and make a difference, believing that in the end you have a promise even beyond these storms. The storms will not last forever. Your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. So we entrust ourselves to you. May we know that peace that passes understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.